What if? What if the struggle isn't real? What if everything you've been told is impossible is actually deliciously feasible? What if you could work anywhere, travel, find your purpose, all while growing your wealth and not spending it? Welcome to the Struggle Isn't Real podcast. I'm Cody Sanchez-Baker, and and my job here is to share how normal people have self-designed their lives, relationships, jobs, and bodies. The question to ask yourself is simply this. What if it was easy? Welcome to another episode of the Struggle Isn't Real podcast. I'm Cody Sanchez-Baker, and my gig here is to break down interesting human stories and share how people just like you and me, have been able to do incredible things. And I really dig this episode, actually, because I love nothing more than a super actionable breakdown from an expert in their space. So this is the episode for you if you've ever wanted to build a distribution company or a fashion apparel graphic tea company, perchance. You all actually requested this one in particular, and it makes sense, right? I mean, haven't you ever had a quote and thought, God, I should totally make this into a t-shirt? I know I do all the time. So, da-da-da-da, you're welcome for the answer today. I know, you know, Sofia Amoroso's all the rage, graphic tees are selling like hotcakes, boutique brands are popping up more frequently than Hillary Trump election memes. So the question is then, how do you in fact build a t-shirt company or really any type of fashion company? And some of the questions that you're going to get answers today are, What the heck is screen printing? When does it make sense to start your own company? How do you do it as cost-effectively as possible? What is the biggest surprise cost? What kills dreams of beautiful graphic tees faster than anything? And how this woman, who I call the t-shirt apparel queen, Ryan Egan of SLC Activewear, has come from a family of t-shirt distributors and can give you all the insider scoop on what works and what doesn't when it comes to creating the next great apparel company. If you don't believe me, I can vouch for the fact that she literally can tell what brand you're wearing without looking at your label. So there's some superpowers for you. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode of A Struggle Isn't Real with Ryan Egan. So Ryan Egan, I'm thrilled to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us on another episode of The Struggle Isn't Real. How are you? I'm doing great, Codes. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. So I'm excited to have Ryan on specifically today because Ryan's really been one of my mentors in life and business and pretty much everything uh, for as long as I've known her. And I've seen her personally build a business in a city that she didn't know anybody, um, where you built it with your husband, um, and in a business that, you know, is a little bit of a family business for you guys historically, but you guys really took it on completely yourself. So today I'm thinking we start off with talking about your business building ideas, how you did it, what you learned. And then I want to finagle that a little bit into the business of fashion or t-shirt companies because that's all the rage. Sound good? Sounds great, Coats. All right. So, so let's start off here. Um, why don't you explain for us what exactly it is that you do as a t-shirt distribution company, which I'm sure most people don't even realize what exactly that is. And, and then why don't you weave that into what you and I talk a lot about, which is maybe one of the things that surprised you the most when you started your first business. Perfect. So um, SLC Activewear is a wholesale apparel t-shirt distribution company, as you just said. We don't currently manufacture our own products um, or do any sort of decoration. Um, We are merely in a distribution channel. Um, The great thing about SLC Activewear is that we can create our own product catalog with the manufacturers that we choose to distribute for, and we um, look to provide the best option in each of the apparel categories. So we take a look at what manufacturers are out there, and we decide, okay, our fashion fit category, what products do we feel are the best of the best that we can, um, you know, actively distribute for, and we choose to work with them and put a product mix together. What sweatshirt company out there do we think 
really has the highest quality. Uh, we pick a handful of their styles and we help distribute for that particular company. So as we continue to put together our product mix, we hope that we have the best of the best for our screen printers and embroiderers to decorate on. I love it. And I mean, this is a serious business. I know a lot of, a lot of people these days, even my business, you know, you can't touch it, finance and investing or, or, you know, the, the sales and how to build your business businesses I have, it's sort of, it's, it's up in the air. We don't actually build something, but what you're talking about is warehouses and inventories and humans and boxes and shipping. And so, you know, I imagine one of the most difficult things is, um, sort of managing an actual brick and mortar business and making, I mean, isn't it kind of risky? You have to pick which brands you think are going to sell, but how do you ultimately know what will or will not sell and how do you make those kind of decisions? Um, that's a great question. So we, we look at, you know, I think the biggest key for us is listening to what our customers are asking us for. Of course, we're going to look at industry trends. We're going to look at what our manufacturer's advice are, what they're seeing sell through, what kind of products they're being asked for. But ultimately, it comes down to our customer base and what our customers are looking for us to carry. Um, I have been so wrong in a, so many of my picks, and one of my biggest pieces of advice is don't get emotionally attached to uh, a product or, or something that you think is going to do great until your customers say, hey, you know what, this is great, and this is making my life easier. Um, but, you know, different colors will come and go, uh, different fabrications come and go, and it's really based a little bit on fashion and what's going on in, in retail, but mostly what's going on in our industry is, uh, you know, the technology and the development of different printing techniques and different inks and different ways to decorate the garment. So um, it is quick paced. It is changing rapidly and we love it. It keeps us on our toes. Um, I bet. We are a little, bit, we are unique in the fact that we will add product to our floor every single day. Um, we don't wait for the new year, for a new season. If we see that it's trending in the right direction, we will get it on our floor and add it to our product mix for our customers. But um, I think our customers have driven how and where we've brought in product and, and how we've decided to inventory it. Interesting. And what about, you know, so as you're starting this company out in the first year, how many years have you been in business now, Ryan? We are coming up on our fifth year. Wow. Which, I mean, they say what, one in three businesses actually survive the th three years. So I can't even imagine what the numbers are for five. <laughs> so congrats. But I talk Thank to you about, yeah, th those first couple of years and specifically the first year. So you, you know, you moved to Salt Lake City, you, you know, establish your, your, your name and your logo and you have your business cards printed and you're like, you're ready to go. And I know you, you're very meticulous. And, and then you open the doors and you actually have to get customers and you have to you know, establish yourself in a new market, which is so difficult for any, I think, entrepreneur or business owner. So what was the biggest surprise for you when you first started out and first started building? And then how did you get your first customers? So we rely a lot on inner industry trade shows. Um, you know, we uh, had attended the biggest trade show, in my opinion, in the imprinted sportswear, in, imprinted sportswear industry in January. And we opened the doors the week before we went to this trade show and we picked up um, a handful of contacts, so to speak, um, to start working with and seeing if we could establish a relationship with. Um, I think the biggest surprise for me was, I don't want to say how easy it was, but what um, the services that we could provide and how much in need it was for this particular region. Um, we established ourselves with a little bit of street cred, um, having that family business background and having a wholesale background. But, um, you know, I think that Jack and I being passionate about what we were doing and, um, you know, the distribution model that we were creating really resonated well with um, the clientele that we were approaching and, and trying to, um, you know, build partnerships with. Um, I think the biggest surprise was was just getting on the phone and, and making that introduction and, um, you know, asking for a shot at fulfilling apparel orders. And it's, it's developed nicely from that point. So um, was I think the the mechanism for marketing was like you picked, it was cold calling. Like, you know, these days people just yeah. like put it on social media and have people buy it. And you and I are probably both old school in that it's cold calling and knocking on doors and emailing. Is that right? 
That, that's true, Cody. I mean, I think that so much comes from conversation and uh, social media is definitely an entity that every business should be looking at. It's a great way to um, get your name out there. But I think your true feedback is going to come from, you know, over the phone interaction or face to face interaction. I wouldn't consider these cold calls, though, because um, I know that every, you know, my potential market was utilizing products that I was was going to distribute. It was just a matter of, okay, if you're using this product, you know, why don't you try utilizing it from our location? We're going to save you money on transit time. We're going to save you money on, um, you know, the, you know, um, cost to get it to you, which is transit time, but um, the product itself is going to stand on its own two feet and it's a better product that I'm distributing and I'm closer to you and I can get it to you faster, which means that your production is going to increase because you're not going to have any downtime waiting for product to come into your shop. So, I mean, it sounds like, Ryan, when you started this business, I mean, you saw a gap in the market, which is why you chose Salt Lake City, let's say, to do this. And so, you know, I was at um, Fast Company Conference this week, and I was listening to Tim Armstrong, who's the CEO of uh, AOL and now Time Warner, too. And um, he was saying that any successful entrepreneur that he's ever engaged with has, you know, three characteristics, which is one that they fully uh, have a vision for where the company is going to go. I mean, they may have to pivot, but they can clearly explain one, three, and five years what they see happening to whatever their company is. Two, that they surround themselves with, you know, some of the best thinkers out there and leverage um, other people's expertise as opposed to trying to learn it all themselves. But what you just mentioned, three, which is gap analysis. They really know why they are different and needed in the market and the ones he sees fails are the ones that don't see that. So can you talk to us about how did you figure out the gap? What sort of analysis did you do to know that you, you were needed in this market? And then what lessons could people take from that analysis that you did and apply them to their business? That's a great question. So I think um, for us, it was the product that we were looking to distribute. Um, we saw uh, an industry trend of um, a newer type of of T-shirt coming out there, which was lighter weight, uh, you know, higher single count, so it's easier for printing upon. And we did not see that the distribution of that particular entity of product um, was fulfilled. And there was big gaps throughout the country as we look at national uh, distribution. And we thought positioning ourselves in this area, um, you know, would provide a service for, you know, our manufacturer that we now work with and manufacturers that we work with, um, as well as the type of printing techniques and the type of um, uh, printers that are located in this region. So um, for us, it, it was pretty, uh, you know, we looked at a couple different regions and, um, you know, Utah seemed like a great place to live. And I have to say that it is. We, we enjoy ourselves tremendously out here and we enjoy everyone that we've come across as far as partners in, in our apparel business. Um, I think that, uh, you know, with anything you do, it's important to establish partnerships. And I, I really like that point too is finding your expert and finding the expertise and, and I don't want to say outsourcing that but you know utilizing that and for us um, that's what we do we, we really try to partner with our screen printers and find you know does this product work for you do you see your clientele utilizing this or adding this to their product mix and what new decoration techniques are you working on and what kind of products can we distribute that will help uh, enhance what you're doing yeah, so you're kind of a little investigator, naturally, it sounds like. You're asking yes, clients yes. kind of consistently, you're asking your partners pretty consistently, and you're asking the market kind of what's happening. So everything you're doing is really sort of a data-driven decision. It's not really Ryan like, oh, okay, my gut tells me that I really like th this cream-colored v-neck, and I think that's going to be all the rage. Yes. Now, what about um, in regards to... Uh, your business in particular and, and your, uh, let's say, vision for creating it. When you started, did you, did you have a business plan? Did you, you know, see where the oh, business was going to go for years? Yeah. So, so what does that look yeah. like for you? So, um, you know, for me, there, there's a couple businesses that I, you know, I absolutely love and I, I would model my business after, but, um, to me, there's a lot of noise in, in 
in clothing and apparel companies. And there's a lot of us out there. So, you know, we constantly are looking at what's our point of differentiation? What is going to set us apart? Um, you know, aside from the fact that we offer a, a fantastic product mix, you know, what is really going to make the phone ring for us? And so um, I've always said, and I say it to every person that we bring on, um, you know, we are a service company that just happens to sell t-shirts. And so um, I think that probably came from my dad at one point of, keep your customers happy and just keep them happy. And so um, the more I ask, the more I'm driven to, you know, create those different sort of services that we offer. But um, every person that walks in the store has to be able to um, be, not be able to, but be excited about uh, talking to customers and be excited about what they're doing and be excited about what their customers' customers are asking them for. Um, and we just service the heck out of them, whether it be freight incentives, whether it be, uh, you know, new product samples, whether it be just a, hey, hello, it's good to see you. Um, we're constantly engaged and constantly tied to uh, what can we do to make their life easier. Fantastic. I love that. Well, I mean, how about this? So I'm right now growing, uh, you know, a couple businesses and I have, um, you know, employees under, you know, really two of the companies that I'm working on. And um, what I've really been surprised about is how difficult scaling is. So when you get that first employee, <laughs> it's like amazing, right? Like, you know, your, your productivity increases a hundred percent. And then when you get the second employee, maybe it's, maybe it's also close to a hundred percent. And then when you get the third, it's like 90. And then the fourth is 80. And then, <laughs> you know, and as you add people, you just add complexity. You don't actually only right. add uh, an increase in return. So one, um, how do you get everybody else to have your mindset as far as a service company? And then two, how do you how do you scale that? Right, right. That's a great question, and I'm not sure there's there's really a magic formula to it. I mean, there's a couple things that we look at, Cody. I mean, one, I think that businesses always grow in a stair step fashion. They don't always increase at a steady pace. You know, you you load up on infrastructure, and then you get the sales to meet it. Then your sales increase, then your infrastructure is, is stressed out, and you have to load up on it infrastructure again. So I think that, you know, it's a stair-step type model. And for us, um, we have a little bit of a seasonality issue too throughout the year. Um, but, you know, it, it just, um, you really, uh, one of the books that I love and I go back to a lot is, is the Strength Finder book. Um, as a manager, it, it helps me understand what uh, each piece of this puzzle that I'm building over here has to offer. And, and most people don't know what their talents are because they're so innate in them that they just overlook them. But, um, you know, I think one of the biggest um, things you can do is understand your employees from the get-go and, and how they are best managed. Um, you know, some employees are, are going to be naturally introverts. They're going to go put their uh, head down. And if you give them a list of tasks for the day, you don't need to see them until the end of the day. Um, some employment employees need that constant sort of, hey, this was great, but let's try to do this better. And it's, it's all, uh, I hate to say trial by error, but until you do it, it's hard to actually offer uh, an opinion on that. I think that was probably one of our biggest surprises, though, too, Cody, was, uh, managing employees and employees, employees, you know, all, all of a sudden you, you have this great employee and, and they've taken on a ton of, uh, you know, some of the, you know, duties or, or um, some of the pieces of the puzzle that you're not comfortable with or that they can excel at, so to speak. And then they call out sick and then you're back to doing it again. So um, it's seven steps forward for, you know, three steps backwards and you, you grow in a stair step, but um, you know, I think that really kind of setting the expectations to start with and understanding uh, where your employees' strengths are is, is really kind of, um, you know, the, um, the key to all of this. That's fantastic. I, I couldn't agree more, but I've never actually thought about applying the book to that. Do you actually have them take the, the, the little test? I do. I do. That's so, um, you know, we, with our first, in our first year, I think it took us uh, six months to actually have a, a full-time employee, which uh, it, you know, we struggled with it and then we went away from it. And then, oh my gosh, you're right. When we first, we got that first set of hands in here, it was like, holy cow, why didn't we do this sooner? But uh, it did take us some time to find that right person. Mm -hmm. And uh, we do have them, you know, take that test. It, it really helps. And it helps them too. It helps them know, okay, you know what, this is what I'm good at. And these are where my challenges are going to be. And so 
um, for me, it, it seems like, you know, you can, I don't want to say categorize people because everyone's wired a little bit differently, but different management techniques are going to work differently with different individuals. And this is just a right off the bat, let's set the expectation of how you work best. And so I know, and it's sort of, um, you know, it's like unlocking a language, I think, between the two uh, parties. Interesting. Yes. Well, I know one of my biggest downfalls is that I just assume everybody else should operate how I operate. <laughs> a very type A personality where that is the way that I think it should be done. And thus, if somebody doesn't do it, I have less introspection and much more like, well, figure it out and do it this way. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I struggle with, you know, when I bring on new members of the team, I definitely look for people who who can balance my weaknesses. You know, for example, my very first hire was someone who I've known for a long time. And I am, I, I love 30,000 feet and up and I love 3,000 miles an hour and forward. And she is super detail oriented. She's like, you know, 30 inches above the ground and, um, and moves slower. And so can, you know, kind of make sure that I don't make too many mistakes and I pull her along and make sure that she doesn't go too slow. And so it's this kind of beautiful balance that works between the two of us. And I've gotten lucky, I think, a few times with my hiring and I've certainly done it wrong as well. Um, but do you, do you actively change the way that you manage the employees depending on how they take the test? Um, every single day. I mean, it's, you know, that's, that's a jumping off point, but beyond that, and I mean, a book can't tell you everything. So sure. that, that's a starting point, but you need to start somewhere. Um, I would say, yes, every day I'm actively adjusting, tweaking, changing how I'm addressing, um, you know, different things, different things that I see happening. Um, you know, if, if my, um, yes, we, we do have this t-shirt wholesale distribution company. And yes, I really pride myself on being a service oriented company, but, um, you know, every person that, uh, right now that is part of SLC Activewear is talking to my customers and they are representation of my brand. So I have to, it's in my best interest to make sure that they're relaying the message, feeling supportive, feeling that from the top down, they can make these decisions and, and really, um, you know, service that customer experience for us. So every minute I'm constantly saying, gosh, was that interaction the best it could have been? Did that customer walk out of here feeling like, you know what, they really took care of me today and I'm going to call them back uh, when I have the next question or the next order. Um, so it, it's a constant, um, you know, uh, tweaking, adjusting, hey, you know what, we should approach this a little bit differently, or maybe we need to look at doing this to make this run a little bit smoother. But um, my biggest uh, surprise, I think, is when, you know, I can, I can set everyone up to be successful around me. I mean, that's the key. They're representing my brand, and they're representing what we do. And, um, you know, to drive down from the top down into our success is based off of our customer success and you are the key to making them successful. So what can I do for you to help them be successful? Um, and I think we look at that every other minute. Uh, it's fantastic. Well, especially because, you know, the last podcast that um, I did, we talked about commoditized businesses, right? And so yes. his argument was, he tries to go where the growth is and go where there are dislocations in the market and disruptions in the market and think a few years ahead. And so to, to get there before the commoditization happens. Um, and yeah. we we're kind of going back and forth on that, which I think it's a beautiful idea, but I think that normally commoditization happens at such a rapid pace that um, if you want a truly sustainable company that's not always reinventing itself completely, every couple of years, you have to, I think competitive industries are actually a really good thing because they make you have the best company humanly possible because your competition is so phenomenal and it's so fierce and you have no other option. And so, I mean, if you look at the world's biggest companies, they're in the world's most competitive industries, right? I mean, we're talking Apple in you know, technology and smartphones of which there are a million, which some could say are even better products than Apple, but Apple has that same model that you do still, I think of having extreme service and knowing their brand immensely. So did I you, would agree with that. Did you, when you, when you were starting SLC activewear, did you, um, like, did you go through like a mission, uh, you know, like a value proposition phase where you kind of like mapped out, hey, this is what we stand for. This is who we are. This is how everybody explains the brand. Or how do you actually communicate that out to your people? 
I think that um, with Yes, we, yes, the answer is yes. I mean, we have, you know, mission and value and, and, you know, that resonates deeply with me, but I'm, I'm, I don't want to say a visionary, but I have the vision. I laid out the map of where we're going, but um, I think it's important to break it down for the everyday, you know, what can you do every day with that particular phone call that's going to make this person walk away feeling like you took care of them. So um, yes, that's out there. Yes, it's great reading material, but um, just because it resonates with me doesn't mean it necessarily resonates with my team. And so, um, you know, I work really hard to uh, relate things to what's going on in their lives. What what could be, you know, an example of, okay, you know, you walked in to uh, get uh, a new bank card and the teller was rude to you. Are you ever going to go back there again? And so I, I think making it more uh, I don't want to say simplistic, but more relatable on uh, whatever level your employee is at is really how you you have a message be honed in. Um, does that answer your question? I, I'm not sure no, if it does, it does or not. It, no, it does perfectly. Well, especially, you know, I ran the last business, Threads, had you know, hundreds of contractors all around the right. country. And so that was a perfect example of how difficult it is to translate mission when you're um, not in the same location and when um, if incentives aren't properly aligned and if, um, you know, you, you do have employees at different levels, right? Um, and so that was right. a great learning experience to figure out, <laughs> okay, I have these values that I stand for that I believe you should answer an email same day, if not 24 hours, no matter what. But okay, not everybody thinks that way. So then you've got to <laughs> like, go back and check your assumptions. Um, so I think that's really interesting. So I, I want to talk to you a little bit about um, the business of fashion and t-shirts too. Um, okay. Because I was, you know, when, when we originally were talking, I think in California, um, uh, somebody had approached me about a graphic t-shirt company. And since then, I can't tell you, I probably get at least an email a week saying, I want to start an apparel company, right? So these are, these are like small entrepreneurs that, you know, they have like a logo or a catchphrase that they want to have. And I think it's with Sophia Amoroso being all the rage and graphic tees selling like crazy and boutique brands popping up because it's so easy now to, to screen print and to embroider and to get access to them um, that they want to try to create a brand. So, you know, with that in mind, these small entrepreneurs who are trying to create these little mini brands, um, what, what do they need to know? Like if somebody wanted to go out right now and start let's say a graphic tea company and use some of your clients as their um, t-shirt uh, em embroiderers or, or screen printers, what do they need to start thinking about first? So, I, I mean, I, I think this is a great question and you're right. The barriers to entry to starting your own clothing or t graphic t-shirt line are, are minimal, if that. Um, you know, starting an apparel company is just like starting any other company. You just need an idea. Um, of course, you know, there are a million resources for starting your own company and, and for business owners. Um, but as far as imprinted sportswear, which is the industry that, you know, I operate in, um, you know, we're concerned about just a handful of things. And the first is, who are you? What's your name? Where are you established? Um, pretty straightforward. Um, the second thing that we, you know, look for is uh, a resale license. So, um, you know, anytime, you know, business 101, um, you can find this in your respective state, but um, your state tax resale license, it's called something a little bit different in every state, but um, you know, I recommend always checking out your state tax uh, website and you'll find a plethora of information to get that going. But the resale number is, is pretty key because um, that's saying that, yes, I am indeed going to start this t-shirt business and I am committed to this and I'm going to report my sales quarterly. Um, and then the last thing that we look for is the proof of intent to resell apparel. Um, and that can be as simple as a, a Shopify website. Um, we have brick and mortar stores. We have folks that are reselling through other distribution entities. But um, we want to know that your intention for this is to resell the apparel. Um, so, you know, those three components are, are really what we are we're after. Um, to start your own t-shirt company, I mean, I, I think it just takes a, a couple of hours, a little bit of research, but um, I'm assuming most of your listeners have uh, 
you know, the niche that they operate within, whether it be, you know, um, a great saying that they've come up with, whether it be um, a following of individuals who relate to some sort of human experience, whether it be that they work for a club sports uh, or CrossFit gym or something like that, and they've come up with a really great uh, design. So I think that the niche is where you really start and then you can branch, you know, branch out from there. Um, you know, the second thing that goes into it is the actual design of the t-shirt. So um, again, I, I'm, I'm assuming, and I hate to assume, but most of your listeners have that design in mind. Okay, this would make a great t-shirt or this phrase would be great if we put it on a t-shirt or I like this graphic and how would that look uh, if someone were actually wearing it. So, um, you know, the design in mind, I, I think that, uh, you know, if you're thinking about doing a t-shirt line, you've already got those two components. Um, the third probably component of all of this where I think most folks get hung up is the quality. Uh, within the quality, um, you know, umbrella, you have the garment, you have the actual decoration, and you have the branding. So um, the garment is, is something that is becoming more and more critical. You want folks to use, utilize the garment over and over and over again. You don't want it to, I mean, I think we all have those high school PE shirts that are in our closet right now. And those what we would consider, you know, sort of a commodity basic shirt. Um, you know, the blank garments, the canvases have come so far. Um, they're all, you know, much, much softer. We look at a lot of single counts to see how soft the t-shirt is. Uh, they're a little bit lighter weight. They have a nice fashion cut to them. But, um, you know, my advice would be to don't go cheap on the garment that you're actually putting your design or branding your logo on. Um, and that's why we always look to see who's the best of the best. What product mix can we come up with that is really going to give that, uh, you know, end user and consumer something that they're going to be proud of with their logo on it to wear over and over again and proud to sell or, you know, to distribute to, you know, their friends and family to, to really get their brand name out there. Yeah, it's so um, interesting you say that because, you know, when we go to these conferences, like I was just talking to one of the uh, individuals who is, his company is is big at South by Southwest, right? So each year he goes and, and everybody gets like, I guess it's like swag bags full of different okay. items from all the different companies. And he was laughing and we were both laughing about the quality of the shirts or the apparel still that happen for a lot of these companies. Like, a, you know, kind of a funky tech company or an app company will give away a t-shirt to everybody, but it will be like one of those boxy kind of like starchy in your hand with like their <laughs> big logo printed on the front of it. And to me, that is the, like, it's the biggest waste of money ever. Um, and I'm not sure that people still you know, I still struggle to find really cool graphic tees, but that have incredible quality and fit because I don't want to look like a cardboard box, right? Right, right. So, and that's, it's interesting because there's a huge movement in our industry right now in imprinted sportswear. I mean, yes, that type of product is always going to have a need, um, whether it be, you know, a 5k run, whether it be, uh, who knows what, but that type of commodity basic is always going to have a partner industry. We're just seeing such tremendous growth in what we would consider the fashion garment, um, which is that higher end piece. So when we get back into the quality of, of the actual garment, and the second part that I wanted to talk about is establishing a partnership with a printer. Um, the screen printers out there, it is, it is an art form, screen printing, decorating, embroidering on shirts. It is an art form and they are artists, but, um, so many of them have come so far with pushing the envelope as far as what they're decorating, how they're using their inks, how they're curing the inks. And I think it's important to establish a partnership with a printer that utilizes some of these higher end garments. Um, if I were, you know, I always think of my customers, but if I were wanting to start a t-shirt company, I mean, the first thing I would do is a research the garments that I was interested in, you know, whether it be these fashion fit garments like a Bella canvas or a next level apparel or an independent trading company. And the second thing I would do is start researching printers. I mean, how do you find a good screen printer? And I think that's where a lot of folks get hung up. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's like finding any sort of service industry. How do you find a good plumber? I mean, reviews and referrals. Um, when you approach these printers, I think one of the first and very appropriate questions is, have you screen printed on a Bella canvas or a next level apparel garment or an independent trading company garment before? Can you show me a sample of something that you've done on that front? Um, and I think right away that's going to establish an expectation of, hey, I would like my brand to stand out among the rest. I don't want that cardboard, starchy, boxy fit t-shirt. And, you know, I'm not... Um, 
I'm not concerned about what, uh, you know, what you, you know, you've done in the past. What I want to see is what you're, you know, willing to work on for me going forward with this. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you're so right, especially because as a new business, I mean, the first thing I always tell anybody that's starting a new business, because they'll say, well, what, you know, what's your advice for if I want to start a new business? And, and it is always twofold, which you hit on, which is first, like you better like it because you're going to work so much more at it than than you ever thought. Exactly. So like you better really love t-shirts if you're going to do a t-shirt business, because you are going to have t-shirts up to your eyeballs. And if you do in fact love it, then it's cool. Don't get me wrong. You have your down days, but it's, it's interesting and, and it fuels you. Um, and then the second thing I always say is like, you need to really cautious about where you spend your money. And um, the, the worst thing I could imagine for a t-shirt company is you going through a process kind of skimping up front, maybe on the cost of the materials, but then getting something that you can't actually sell and offload when you really have no sales and no um, you know, backing to survive that. Right, right. Yes. Sitting inventory is everyone's worst nightmare. So you want to steer clear of that. Um, but I think when you establish yourself in a partnership with a, a qualified screen printer, and I, I truly believe that there's a screen printer out there for everyone, they can guide you. They can guide you in the right direction and say, okay, I understand that you know, you've come up with a couple slogans that maybe you're going to market to yoga studios or CrossFit gyms. So I would suggest ordering these particular sizes. And this is the size scale that I think will be best for that particular market. Um, you know, no, these guys don't want sleeves on their t-shirts. They want to show off their guns. So let's look at different tank tops or sleeveless shirts that are out there and different prints that we can do that might uh, resonate with that type of clientele. Um, a partnership with a printer is my best piece of advice. They know what they're doing. And with, uh, you know, your listeners' niche and designs in their mind, I think that that can be a beautiful relationship and really um, help drive sales home of those particular garments. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I think it comes back to what we talked about. You've just got to find experts in your space. You have sort of two options in business, right? You can go out and try to learn it all yourself and take decades if maybe years, or you can leverage somebody else's experience who's been there before and cut your time down sizably. So that seems to make a lot of sense. Now, what about, um, we talked about quality. We talked about getting experts. Um, what about, you know, some of the specifics on how to build up the business? Like is shipping what kills you? Is it that standing inventory that you talked about? Like what are those the things that people don't think about when they start pricing what their t-shirts may be worth to actually sell after they've got it printed. So I think that um, you, you nailed it on the head. I think shipping is expensive and I think that shipping is the most overlooked cost that is taking money right out of your profit every single second. Um, anytime you move a garment from point A to point B to point C to point D, there's going to be a shipping cost associated with that. Now, most of your listeners starting their own t-shirt lines are going to be national and international brands. So we can assume that there's going to be a fixed cost for shipping that garment from, you know, site of sale on the website to whomever the end user is or the, the consumer. But there's going to be additional shipping getting from the manufacturer to the distribution center, to the screen printer that, um, you know, there might be some room to negotiate shipping charges out of that. Um, so you have to look at shipping at every angle. You know, anytime that product moves, there's going to be a cost associated with it. And I think that is one thing that is constantly overlooked. Um, for us at SLC Activewear, I mean, we offer a ton of shipping incentives to get the product to screen printers at, uh, you know, a, a nominal cost. We subsidize it the best we can because, again, we want to distribute the product effectively and, and really service those particular accounts. Um, for your customers and, and working with a screen printer, um, you know, I say go local. If you can reduce your, your footprint and how far you're shipping shirts, that's going to, in, in fact, decrease your shipping costs. So if you find a printer within your neighborhood, you know, perhaps you meet him once or twice, you courier the goods to you or you have him do the fulfillment uh, at his shop. But, um, you know, there's incentives for shipping to get the product to his building. You have to assume that you're always going to have shipping uh, direct to your customers. 
Okay. That makes sense. And what about, you know, I always like to think about where you can, where you should spend and where you shouldn't spend and uh, the difference between the two. So when I was thinking about this and I went through and looked at all my labels of my t-shirts and, um, and looked at how most of them were printed uh, just as far as like, did they all kind of look the same? And I have no idea beyond that's not technical at all into how things are actually printed or into <laughs> labeling. But my understanding is like most of these shirts I have. So when I'm wearing my Soul Cycle shirt, or you know my my shirt from I don't know my yoga studio, or exactly what you just mentioned, they actually come from somebody like you. They get relabeled by somebody like the screen printer or the end user, and then they get to me. Yes, yes, that is true. Um, I think when you're for I, so I have a you know I am a marketing background. Marketing has been ingrained in me forever. So this, the answer to the question of, of do you spend the money up front in branding your brand is a tough one for me because I think when you're, you're first launching and you have your first two, three, five designs, and I wouldn't go any more than that. Every design you create is going to cost you a certain amount of money. Um, and I think you maybe launch not as many designs and spend the money on the quality of the garment and maybe a, a better printing process. Uh, as far as relabeling your product, I don't think you do that to start with. I know branding is important, and, and yes, I feel that that is critical, and eventually you'll get to the point where you want to put, you know, Cody's t-shirt ink on the inside and the nape of the neck, but I think for your first uh, go at this, your first handful of designs, your first run, you just leave the label uh, as it stands in the garment. Um, again, the brand name garments that we we work with uh, on these fashion fit type uh, apparel lines are, are nice labels. It's not that they're not. Um, and I think maybe the second or the third round of designs that you release is when you get into adding uh, the label and the nape of the neck. I think you spend your money and maybe add an additional design and not do that labeling to start with. Okay. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Well, I had no idea any of these labels until I actually went back there and looked at them and I, you know, have run a fashion company. So I, <laughs> I think I would agree with you there. But to me, it seems like it's so easy in the beginning uh, because the, the costs are nominal when you're starting any sort of business. The, not the costs are nominal, but the incremental costs are nominal. So you're like, oh, well, it's only right. an extra dollar to relabel or it's, oh, it's only an extra, you know, a hundred dollars to have another design, um, you know, created or whatever the cost is that, that they pile up. And what happens to most businesses is they run out of capital and they have to make right. poor decisions in their sales process because they are feeling pressure from how much is on top of them from a cost standpoint. So anytime I think you can have a minimally viable product, meaning like, yes, it works. Is it perfect? No. Um, but is it sellable? And then you get the feedback from the end clients in what they buy. Like you said, not getting emotionally attached and thinking that clients care about labels when in fact, all they care about is the feel of the garment. And if it, you know, looks like a crop top or comes all the way down to their waist. Great, exactly. Um, so I think that's really good advice. What about this, this whole, so the printing, the actual printing process of it. So I was doing my little Google search because whenever I don't know something, I go to the gods of Google and I am amazed <laughs> at what you can find. I was just uh, speaking to a bunch of students at, at uh, NYU Stern what, Tuesday and they were so funny. They were asking me questions about they wanted to be, you know, contributors, like journalists and, and bloggers about business, a few of them. And, and, I, and they said, but, you know, I've got to go back to grad school and I've got to get, um, you know, be employed by an institution so I can credentialize myself. And, and I said, well, why wouldn't you just go to Google and say, Google, like, how do I become a journalist and can I start a platform now? And what Google will tell you is like, yeah, you can have a blog, you can become contributors for other sites. HuffPost is actually, anyone can be a contributor in Huffington Post now. She completely open architecture to the system. Um, so that actually means nothing anymore if you hear people say they're Huffington Post contributors. Um, and, and they were so funny because they were like, no, you can't. Like, that's not possible. Um, and what I realized is that we look so much to experts, sometimes we don't even look online. So I did a tiny bit of research about screen printing, heat transfer, direct garment, you know, embroideries. What's the, so if you're starting out, what does somebody need to know? What is like the least you need to know about what type 
of printing you should consider um, in case maybe they don't find an amazing screen printer. So at least they can qualify that the screen printer is telling them the right stuff. So there's a handful of printing te techniques out there, and there's it's really fascinating right now because there's a ton of technology, um, especially with with newer printing techniques. Um, the uh, oldest tried and true is, is screen printing with plastisol inks. Um, that is what your your basic. I don't want to say basic, but that's where the the root of, of screen printing is, is with these plastisol inks. Um, an experienced printer can give you almost any look and feel you see at a retail level uh, with a plastisol ink. I mean, yes, that they, they have to know what they're doing, but um, not every plastisol screen print shirt is going to have that big, you know, plastic, you know, feel of that high school gym shirt that we throw in the back of our closet. So um, I think that right now with the technology on, on some of the newer printing techniques, um, Plastisol is getting a little bit of a bad rap, and I don't, uh, I don't think that that uh, is, is fair. I mean, I think that it's an art form, and I think with the right printer, you can really get that look that you're looking for with the Plastisol ink. And why I, I promote the Plastisol is it's the most cost-effective. Um, you know, it is, its shelf life is, is tremendously longer than some of the newer technologies, but again, as the technology increases, the shelf life of some of these newer printing excuse me, some of these newer inks is, is really uh, outlasting those. Um, so Plastisol is, is your tried and true. And again, um, you can do a lot of really cool techniques and a lot of cool fashion prints with that particular ink. So um, at, at a very low price point. Um, one of the other uh, decoration techniques, Cody, you mentioned to me um, was a heat transfer. Um, these are great for shorter runs. Uh, basically, a heat transfer is uh, printed a, a a decoration of some sort printed on a piece of film and then the film is heat pressed onto the garment. Um, there's no challenges with the uh, technology on that of it actually staying on the garment as long as it's curated the proper amount it's going to stay there for life too. Um, you can't do as many shirts with a heat I, mean, I should take that back. Every transfer is one shirt so um, you know you want to make sure that it's cost effective. Uh, if you have a, a larger run of shirts you probably are going to not do a heat transfer type product. Um, but with heat transfers, you can also get little blings and foil and things of that nature. So uh, that can be a nice addition. Um, and the last uh, printing technique that I want to mention that I've seen a lot of growth in is called DTG. Uh, it's newer. It stands for direct to garment. Um, and this is where the real excitement is coming in. The technology is, is changing every day. And um, a DTG machine is, is almost uh, like a laser jet printer, so to speak. I mean, it really, like a garment goes on a board, and it's almost like a printer printing onto the garment. Um, with where the DTG technology is, you can have a, a couple of challenges with, uh, you know, only specific fabrics can hold a DTG print. Um, and so you want to make sure that, uh, you know, the, the actual contents of the, the garment you're choosing can hold that DTG print. And again, a printer can tell you, uh, you know, yes, this process will work on this or no, this process won't. Um, the great thing about DTG is that uh, you can have a ton of colors in the print. So mm -hmm. um, since it is like a laser jet printer, you can have, you know, 15 different colors and it's, it's not a problem. It's just one setup. Um, but uh, again, you know, if you get into uh, running hundreds and, and thousands of t-shirts, DTG may not be the best option for that. Interesting. Yeah, I had no idea there were so many options. I thought you just went and I told them, you know, I want, I want Cody's face like really big on my t-shirt. This goes back to setting expectations too. I mean, a, a printer can, it can do almost anything you want them to do, but you know, you have to rely on their expertise. I mean, I had a personal experience last or two weeks ago where we were headed to a trade show and I just wanted to get some trade show bags printed and I chose this really fancy new, you know, foil shatter rock uh, heat transfer type print for these trade show bags. And it was really cool, but, uh, you know, it was, it was really expensive. So when we got the bags printed for our second show that we're headed to, I said, you know, that process was awesome. And I thought it was so cool, but hey, that was way too much money for me to spend on a giveaway. And he said, oh my gosh, well, I can do the same look for you. I can just do it with this, that, and the next thing, and it'll cost you half as much. So, you know, just even doing this every day, Cody, setting the expectation for that, hey, that was way too much money for me to spend on a giveaway, and I got the same sort of look with 
half the cost of it. So ask the right question, I suppose. Oh, that's a huge one. I talk a lot about uh, negotiation and asking for what you want. And I think, you know, part of the, the biggest part of it is what you did there, which is saying, hey, that, that seems like a lot. What's the best you can do? Um, how do I get something similar for the cheapest cost? What is the cheapest cost? And letting them be the first person to tell you what exactly the cost is not showing all your chips right. up front, um, I think right. is really important. And, and being comfortable having those, those difficult conversations. One of the things I see most consistently in business is either one, people being uncomfortable talking about money, you know, meaning they, they don't want to ask for what they want or they offer people discounts. Like I just was in New York and don't tell her, but you know, I was interviewing this jewelry designer and um, beautiful, beautiful jewelry. And she, um, so I wanted to buy a piece. Um, and, you know, right up front, she said, oh, perfect. You know, I can give you a 30% discount. And I chuckled and took the 30%. But in my head, I'm thinking I was going to pay full price. So before, right, right. before you offer anything or get uncomfortable, like you've got to trust the fact that you deserve to be paid for your services. That's the capitalistic way. And you've got to be comfortable having those conversations around money, but also what you said is so important. It's the way you do it. I mean, I had another instance where it's also, you've got to be careful. You, you need to be respectful and grateful for somebody paying you for something and make sure you understand exactly what you're asking for. So I know in my business, you know, anytime anyone purchases with me, I'm like over the top flowery about the, the fact that they've engaged with me. And if, if something isn't going the right way, purchase wise, I treat them you know, like a little baby bird. It's, you know, I have a really soft touch because people can get really persnickety about money if you don't handle it in the right way. I, I agree, but I, I do think that it's important to nip that in the bud and have it, have that conversation up front. It's part yep. of setting the expectation. Mm -hmm. And for me, that trade show bag example I gave you, I didn't set a budget for the first, you know, was I given exactly what I asked for? Of course, but I saw the bill and went, oh my gosh, how could I have done what I did? did? And, you know, uh, you want to keep those mistakes minimal if possible, but having a quick, hey, that was great. That's exactly what I wanted. But, you know, this was for the wrong medium. I, I need something that's going to be less expensive. This is a giveaway. And I think that um, everyone's work is worth something. And, you know, this is no fault of the printers. What he did for me cost exactly what he charged me for, but uh, it was the wrong, uh, you know, wrong budget for that particular event. So how have you gotten comfortable having those conversations and, and, you know, expression, expressing and setting expectations up front or having those difficult negotiations that you have to have in business? Is there like a process that you have or do you practice it beforehand? I definitely practice it. Um, I think my first rule of thumb is always to put myself in my customer's shoes. So I think that I, I take a look at whatever the situation may be. And, and usually you're right. It's surrounded by, I don't want to say contentious, but a, a challenge with where the pricing is falling. And I say, okay, at the end of the day, they're not satisfied with something that happened with this particular order, whether it be their customer yelled at them or they can't sell it. Or at the end of the day, something did not work according to plan. So let's start peeling back the layers and see what's within reason uh, for us to come to some sort of agreement uh, to figure out how we can both make this work for both parties. I mean, being a middleman, you know, again, my success is their, or excuse me, their success is my success. So if they're not successful, then I'm not successful. So I have to hold on tight to that and then really look at okay, where can, I, where can I make this better or what can I do to, you know, ease the stress of this particular, uh, you know, financial obligation of, of some kind for them. But um, at the end of the day, the, the cost of the shirt is the cost of the shirt. I mean, I wish I could make it for half as much, but, you know, again, I'm a middleman. These prices are set from, you know, this is what it, it truly does cost to make this type of stuff. So, um, you know, we try to offer additional services to, uh, I don't want to say soften the blow, but help compensate and maybe reach the same sort of goal without actually discounting any product. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Yeah. You know, I, it's a little different in mine. I wonder what you think about this, but my philosophy in, in, in my business is, um, is that, you know, I think a lot of people think that they want things for cheap 
and, and I really mean that in the sense where they want it for the lowest price possible. But what they don't realize is they want it for a low price, but they actually want just to feel like they've spent less than it's worth. Like they've gotten more out of it than they spent. And, and, and I found in my business, you know, when you, when you just go with the cheapest one all the time, then guess what happens when something's wrong with the order? Like, and you went with the cheapest provider all the time, they, they don't help you very much. Or, you know, the tends to not get their shift on the right time. Or when you actually like need them to give you a referral or a, a new client or to, to, you know, be an expert for them on the space, you, you can't trust the lowest cost provider all the time. So I kind of really push back a lot on costs and say, yeah, you know, th that other guy may be cheaper, but is he sort of the best service provider for you? And is he going to help you bring in more business and do what I'm going to do for you? I kind of, I don't know. I, I push back on it. Do you ever find yourself doing that? Absolutely. I, I mean, I, you know, a lot of, and a lot of it is that I don't, you know, I, again, it, it costs what it costs. I mean, a, a lot of it is that that truly is the, the cost of, of doing business. So, um, you know, we do, uh, absolutely push back and, and your work is worth something. And, you know, um, one of the biggest challenges, um, I think that you, you nailed it on the head with your jewelry designer. Not everyone is asking for a discount. I just truly need to know what the price of what I'm planning on doing is so that I can budget accordingly. I'm not asking you for a special price or for anything of that nature. I just need to know what it is. And so I think so often, uh, at least in my industry, we, we mix those two up. Oh, he's asking for a better deal. No, he's not. He just needs to know what it is so that he can plan appropriately. Um, and I, I don't think that that's bad. I think it's okay to say, hey, you know what? I had to, you know, I have, I have a, a brick and mortar shop. I had to have someone key in your order and they've been trained very thoroughly by myself. And guess what? They're here every day for that type of service. I also had to have someone go into uh, package and ship your order together. And guess what? That, that, you know, has a particular cost to it too. So, um, you know, I, I'm not a, a fan of, of discounting. I think that the appropriate response is, yes, I'm priced aggressively um, and you're going to get a whole lot more with this than, you know, if, if I were to discount it to the bare minimum. Yeah, I like that. I like the priced aggressively. And yeah, I think that's very fair. You know, I always talk about um, you, you know, what are you actually looking for? Do you want the cheapest product or do you want the right product for what you're trying to achieve? Um, exactly. And, and, and I think, you know, but those, those, that verbiage when you're early in your career and business is really hard to get, I think, until you've had a ton of reps, right? At, at like the same objection again and again, and then you kind of nail it down and figure out what, what works. But I would say, you know, for those listening, if you're starting any business or a t-shirt business, be prepared with those objections. Be prepared with knowing upfront expectations, with bringing the right people on board, with like kind of being tough with the vendors that you use to understand, like, are they the right fit for you? And, and to also, um, really, I would try not to discount. There's a great article, I'll link it in the show notes, from um, Mizzen and Maine, which is one of my favorite men's clothing company. They're based here and the CEO is a, a friend and a cool dude. And they don't discount ever ever, ever. No sales, no discounts. And he talks about why. And there's a lot of pushback in it, but I think there's something brilliant in saying, we believe it's worth this and you never have to wait for the sale because that's what you're going to get it for. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. So let's, let's close with this. I want to close with a couple of, um, you know, your, your quick questions, rapid fire. Um, and so you kind of told us one, you told me one of the, the books that you kind of go to again and again, but do you have other books and resources when you're having one of those days or when you really need inspiration or when things are going tough, what do you turn to? Um, I, you know, I really like Inks Magazine's blog. Um, I, I like their quick Facebook post. I mean, they list, it's a quick pick me up. It's usually five bullet points and it's just something that kind of regroups me and puts me back uh, into a space that I can, you know, continue forward. Um, I really also enjoy the book Delivering Happiness. It's the story of Zappos. I think that's uh, anytime you're working in the service industry, I think that's a great sort of how did he make passion? And uh, again, he's essentially a distributor. So he's, he's distributing based off of that. But how you really monetize passion, I think is um, 
the message from that particular book. Um, and then Cody, I have to be honest with you. I'm really enjoying the Monday sleigh. I'm starting <laughs> to really look forward to it every single Monday. I'm like, okay, I wonder what tools and tricks I can do to be more efficient this week. So um, right now, those are my, my sort of go-tos. I love it. Thank you. If you guys don't know, um, I have a weekly email that I send out on Monday that, well, I created it, Ryan, because you and I are both obsessed with productivity and efficiency and efficacy. Um, and I get really annoyed when I have too much to do and not enough time. And so, so I created it as a way for me to have a library of all my favorite things. So I'm glad you dig it. Um, I'll link that in the show notes too, and you guys can sign up for it. I'll also link uh, Ryan's business, SLC Activewear, as well as the resources that she adds. And what about, I'm such a cheese ball, but I love this one. What's like, do you have a go-to quote or something that kind of touches you? I do. Um, and it, you know, it, it comes again from my dad and it's just, it's very practical. It's very pragmatic, but, um, is it the most sassy thing I'll ever say? No. Um, but he always says to me, Ryan, you plan for the worst and you expect for the best and you hold on to that. And guess what? You're prepared for everything. Oh, I love it. I love Steve. Well, Ryan's, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I just know that you're going to have probably a ton of people after this reach out to you about their fashion companies. So where can they find you if they want to engage more? So um, a couple places. We are um, really experimenting with our social media influence. And so um, SLC Activewear is on Instagram, but it's a great resource for those looking to get into the apparel industry or currently in the apparel industry. Different products that we've seen trend. Uh, we repost a lot of what our customers are doing as far as decorating goes. And um, that's at SLC Activewear, all one word? Correct. Perfect. Yep. Uh, and that's our Instagram feed. And I would love to hear from people directly. Um, Ryan at slcactivewear.com is my email address and we will go from there. I love it. Okay, I'll make sure to link both of those too. Thank you again, Ryan. <laughs> Thanks, Codes. <laughs>